you know, let's just take a minute. Um, during that song, I was just thinking, that's why we're here. You know, if we came for any other reason, let's put that reason aside, but we're here because of the name of Jesus. Uh, we're free to worship. We're free. Uh, we're going to see today that we, uh, we can now worship the way we were designed to. Um, so let's just take a minute and let's just praise his name. Let's just praise his name. We're gathered here for his glory. Um, as you feel led, just yell out a praise or quietly say it, whatever. But let's just praise the name of Jesus with hearts of prayer and thankfulness. Tell him, tell him why you love him. You're forgiving. Jesus, when you were on the cross, you said, it is finished. It is finished, meaning what you came to do, the battle you came to fight for us, it was finished. You won the victory on the cross. You beat sin by being our perfect sacrifice. And then three days later, which we're going to celebrate next week, you rose from the dead victorious. You are the victor. And because of that, we get to celebrate your victory by worshiping you. You are worthy of all praise and honor and adoration. And we love you. And it's simply a response, not because you need our love, but we need to love you. You made us that way. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Holy Spirit, please be present with us this morning. Holy Spirit, convict us. Holy Spirit, connect with us. We need you. We need you day in and day out. And, and this one day a week, we get to gather together to worship you. And we can't gather without you being with us. Um, but we know that's possible. So be here with us. Do your work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hmm. That's been kind of a theme for me this week in, in my quiet times is the, the glory of God, that we, uh, we're now free to worship, um, and God gets the glory. We're going to see that some this morning. Turn to John. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in John. But I wanted to begin with this question. Have you ever had the experience where you had a certain expectation of something, and then what happened far exceeded your expectations. 
or you didn't understand what what to expect. And so you thought one thing and what happened was something else. So we, uh, we did a kitchen remodel some years ago. And Callie, you know, we have our kitchen and we have our living room with the TV and there was a big wall right in the way. And so, you know, whenever Callie was in the kitchen or I was in the kitchen, but mostly Callie, um, we'd be in the other room having fun and she was all separated from all the fun. And so we dreamed for years about tearing that wall down and, and making the kitchen nice. And so we would talk about it. What do we want to do with the kitchen? And she couldn't ever really fully picture it. And she had ideas and this or that. Until one day we're sitting there and she's like, we really should do something. And I started to match. She's like, I can't picture it. So I went in and just started tearing the wall down. And I, <laughs> that's basically what happened. The kid gave the kids hammers, go. And we, we have it on video. So we tore the wall down and, and we, we redid everything. And when it was over, Callie was like, wow, this was not what I expected. This isn't, you know, I had pictures, but it wasn't like this. This is way better. That's just kind of one of the things I can see and build things and she can't quite see. But when it's done, it was awesome. Have you had that experience? Maybe uh, a vacation you expect to be one way and it's way greater or, or uh, a person you think should be one way and they end up being way greater. Today, we're gonna look at the expectations people had of Jesus and what he was gonna do and what he actually did wasn't what they expected, but it was way greater. And so I want you to imagine right now, think, what do you expect of God? What do you expect of Jesus when you came to Jesus by faith, what did you expect him to do for you? Try and remember, right now in your life, what do you expect him to do? And we're gonna see in scripture how accurate your expectations are. And I hope, if you're being honest, that when we see what he actually did and does, it far exceeds what we expect. And we're gonna be looking, today is Palm Sunday, so we're gonna be looking at the triumphal entry. If you're new to church, this was the day that Jesus went into Jerusalem for the last time. He went in and they celebrated him as a coming king, a beautiful picture, but they had one thing in mind and he had something else in mind and they didn't quite get it, but they will get it. Jesus came to do more than what they expected. They wanted, and maybe you can relate to this because I do, they wanted Jesus to fix their circumstances, but Jesus wanted to do something else. I think a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the times when Christians lose heart, from my experience, when Christians lose heart, it's because Jesus doesn't meet their expectations. They want finances to be better, and God didn't do that for them. They want relationships to be better, and God hasn't done that for them. And say, God failed me. Uh, they think life should be easy now that they come to know Jesus. And that's not what happens. And they say, God failed me. But they don't get it. And so I want us to get it because my heart for you and for me and for us as a church is that we understand it because when we can understand what Jesus did, we won't have that approach. We won't have these unmet expectations. We'll have accurate expectations and they're so much greater. So look, please, at John chapter 12. Do we have a page number? Nope, that's okay. Yeah, look at that, page 996. So if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you underneath. Um, grab that and turn to page 996. And we're going to see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. John 12, starting in verse 12. Now, we looked at this last week. 
We looked at Mary anointing Jesus. Beautiful picture. Jesus is in a place called Bethany, about two miles away from Jerusalem. So that's not far for a walk. And Jesus went there. We, we saw last week as we looked at it, the context, there's already a hit put out on Jesus. They're waiting for Jesus. They're looking. The Pharisees are ready to take him down because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Word of that spread around, and that's what we're looking at next week at Easter. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss it. But Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Word spread. This is amazing. And people started believing and following Jesus. And the Pharisees said, that's enough is enough. It's done. We're coming after him. And so Jesus then went into hiding after he raised Lazarus. And now he comes back to Bethany. This is where Lazarus was. He has a meal with Lazarus and his two sisters, Simon the leper and some others, his disciples. This is the next day. They get up, they're heading to Jerusalem. Now the crowd that knew that Lazarus had been raised from the dead, they hear that Jesus is back in Bethany. So they come from Jerusalem, they come to Bethany because they want to see. They want to see Jesus, they want to see Lazarus raised from the dead. And so there's this crowd kind of, I mean, just picture that. You're inside and there's just this crowd around outside the house. It'd be kind of weird. Um, so Jesus comes out, him and the disciples, they're heading to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And as they come out and get ready, some of those in the crowd went, he's coming. And they run off to Jerusalem because everybody's wondering in Jerusalem, is Jesus going to come? What's he going to do if he does come? And so they run on ahead and they said, spread the word, Jesus is coming. And so that's where we are. John 12, verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Holy Spirit, I just ask you one more time that we would understand um, what many of these didn't understand right then, that we would understand, Jesus, who you are and what you've done. For us and even more for the glory of God, what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. So here comes Jesus coming in. This is the, the time of the Passover, a big feast, the biggest feast they had, the biggest festival. And so all these people from the surrounding areas come to Jerusalem, big crowd. Now they hear these rumors about Jesus. They hear he's coming. They all flock to the road where Jesus is coming in and they grab palm branches. That's why today is called Palm Sunday. Palm branches, everything that happens here is very, very symbolic, very, very symbolic. Uh, we have to remember, look back a little bit, why the Passover feast? The Passover, if you remember back in Exodus, back in the Old Testament, the Jews were, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years they were in Egypt. Uh, horrible time. Near the end of that time, I mean, they were slaves. They were put to hard labor. Moses comes in, sets them free does all those signs. You probably, you've seen the movie. Um, <laughs> he does all these cool signs. And the very last sign was the firstborn of everybody was killed, of animals, of men and women, but animals too. <laughs> the firstborn was killed unless, unless you were a follower of the one true God. You had the message, this is going to happen. You took a lamb you slaughtered the lamb, you took the blood, and you painted it over your doorpost. That sounded a little bit grotesque, but that's what it was. So then when this angel was passing through and the angel was taking the firstborn, the life of the firstborn, it would see the blood over the doorpost and it would pass over that house. That's why Jesus is referred to as the Passover lamb. 
Jesus, it gives me chills. Jesus died for us so that the penalty of death passes over us and we get life instead. And so this celebration is one of passing over and it set them free. So because this happens, then the Jews leave. That's what's called the exodus. Millions of people exiting. They're leaving and they're going. God is leading them out, leading them to the promised land. Uh, We know that eventually it's going to take 40 years to get there because of their disobedience, their stubbornness. But they're set free. And that's what they're celebrating here at this Passover. Freedom from slavery. Now, what's going on in the first century right here? The Jews are not free. The Jews are owned by Rome. The Roman Empire dominated the world at this time. And so the Jews were part of that. They had a lot of autonomy. You know, they were free to to govern themselves in many ways. Uh, They were free to practice their religion, but they were still under Rome. They weren't free, but they wanted to be free. They wanted the glory days. And so Passover is a time of remembering what he had done, but it's also a time where they're anticipating becoming Messiah. They're anticipating being free again. But what they want is political freedom. What they want, I mean, it's a very patriotic thing that they're doing. They want a king. They want the glory days back. They're thinking back to the time of David. Um, The Old Testament talks a lot about the Messiah that's going to come and predicts this person that's going to come, a son of David who's going to be king again. The glory days of when David was king and really when it transitioned to Solomon, uh, David's son, that was the height of Israel. In, in power, in prosperity, all these things in land. Things were going well for Israel at that time, and they wanted that back. And so that's what they're looking for. So Jesus had been traveling around, preaching, teaching, doing these miracles, and often people asked, are you the one to come? Are you him? Are you the Messiah? They're asking, are you the king, the son of David, that's going to come and set up this rule? And he always kind of dodges the question, or he answers it somewhat vague. Um, but here, Jesus communicates very, very clearly, yes. I am the one you're waiting for. I am the Messiah. The palm branches that they bring, that was, they would be waved in a, a celebration. So a, a victory that is celebrated in that time, they would take palm trees and they would wave them. We win, we win. Here comes the king coming in. This would be a way to make way for the king, the, a king of victory coming in. Here comes the king of Israel. They're waving these palm branches. Jesus comes on a donkey's colt. That was prophesied in the Old Testament that when the Messiah came into Jerusalem, he would ride a donkey's colt. I mean, there's a lot of symbolism there. Why didn't he come on a steed in victory? Because he came as a humble king, a humble Messiah. But it was all pointing to him coming, him being the king. And here David, I'm sorry, uh, the son of David, Jesus is allowing this to happen. He's, He's receiving this praise saying, yes, I am the one that you're waiting for. But what they wanted was freedom from Rome. What they wanted was their their nation back. They wanted freedom. But Jesus had something else in mind. What did you expect when Jesus entered your life? What do you expect of Christianity? Did you expect Jesus to give you salvation, meaning you get your ticket to heaven, and then now you have to go be good I mean, a lot of people, that's the picture of Christianity. A bunch of rules that you have to follow until you get to go to heaven. That's not the way it is. True spirituality is much greater than that. True spirituality, it's not a bunch of rules that we follow. Instead, it's a life of relationship. We're gonna see what Jesus actually did. Zechariah 9.9 is where we see the prediction of Jesus coming in. 
And Jesus is now communicating this. It's time for action. So as Jesus is walking in, what are they saying? Hosanna. Hosanna. That literally means save. And save now. It's a cry of save us. Set us free. Save us now. You're our king. We're going to follow you. Set us free. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. This is a quote from Psalm 118. This is a, a, called the Hallel. This is one of those songs that they would sing at the time of Passover going to Jerusalem. Now they're crying out as Jesus comes in, you are our king. I mean, look at this picture. It's beautiful. But for us, they just want him to fix their circumstances. Do you get that? They want their nation back. They want their circumstances fixed. What about you? We come to God because often we want our marriage to be better. We want our kids to be better. We want our wife to be more submissive. We want our husband to actually lead spiritually. We want things. Uh, Our health is bad, so we come to him to fix our health. Financially, things aren't great, so we come to him to fix our finances. But God says, no, I want to do something much greater than that. I want you to take a minute and think holy. Not holy, 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 but holy, W-H-O-L-Y. Think complete. Why were we created? We were created to glorify God in relationship. Jesus said eternal life is that you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Eternal life is that you know. That's not just intellectual. That's an intimate relationship knowledge. We were created to love God in that relationship, which brings him glory. Here's the thing. That creation, that purpose was not possible. That, that purpose that we exist was not possible. God could not be fully glorified if we stayed in the state that we were in because of sin. Sin separated us from God. Our greatest purpose is glorifying God. We couldn't fully glorify God because of the sin in our lives. So say Jesus would have come in as king, set up a political rule. That would have been awesome. Great kingdom. But the problem would have still existed. The problem still would have been sin, which separated God getting all the glory because sin would still be the problem. Picture that. Uh, And they had this idea that the kingdom, the Davidic kingdom was awesome, you know, back in the heyday. Maybe you guys have heard that, you know, back, you know, the glory days, whenever you hear older people talking about the glory days. I don't think they were that great. (laughs) You know, even I, I think about the glory days before internet and cell phone and, you know, before people can get a hold of it. That would be great. Um, you know, whatever. (laughs) It wasn't that great. Back in the time of David, things were still pretty bad. Sin pervaded. At the height, when Solomon was king, how many wives did he have? Hundreds. He had hundreds. I mean, the sin that pervaded the nation when it was at its height was awful. God was not being glorified in the way that he could. And so Jesus came to deal with that. Ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? The book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon at the height of the Davidic kingdom, at the height. And he's writing, I have everything I want, and it's not enough. He writes in there over and over, I have tried building things. I built gardens. I built all this stuff. I mean, he was a construction. He built all this stuff. That doesn't fulfill. So I'm going to try a different woman every night. I'm going to try that. That didn't fulfill. Nothing fulfilled. And he said, well, I'll leave that to you to look it up. It, but, but it wasn't enough. Nothing was enough. But God wants us to have that point where we are fulfilled, again, for his glory. For his glory. So 
here we see in John, the triumphal entry, we see the people's expectations, but I want to look now at what Jesus actually came to do. Turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter one, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, so you don't have to keep a, a finger in John 12, but turn to Colossians, or it's going to be up here on the front. But I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at what Jesus actually accomplished. Colossians chapter 1. You know, if you, Colossians is not a big book. It's okay to look at the table of context in the beginning and look up Colossians. Um, nothing wrong with that. But we're going to see Jesus didn't come just so we could go to heaven. Jesus didn't come so that we could have a moral code to follow, so that we could be good. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14 says this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, they cried, Hosanna, save now. And that's exactly what Jesus was going to do. But he wasn't going to save them from Rome. He was going to save them from something greater. What does it say there in Colossians? He rescued us from what? Not Rome. The domain of darkness. This is a place. So um, every now and then we'll do this. We'll draw. And somebody, many will make fun of me afterward. But I'm, I'm secure. I'm okay with that. Okay, that's good enough. So, picture. I'm not as good as some others, but anyway, this is earth. Okay. <laughs> All earth is under the domain of darkness. And what are the characteristics of this domain? Who's the ruler? Satan. Satan. Everywhere in Scripture, many places, it talks about Satan being the god of this world. Little g, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He is a ruler, and this is his territory. So here in this domain of darkness, what, what characterizes what's here? Ignorance. Ignorance and evil. Think about this. Here's this domain where things happen like chemical bombs going off and killing women and children. Just this week. That's evil. That's evil. How many thousands of babies are murdered in this country every day? Maybe it's not thousands every day, but every year. How many thousands are killed every year? That's evil. The sexual perversion that ruins lives, ruins kids, ruins marriages, that's evil. And that pervades this. But people are ignorant to it. People are ignorant to it. Again, the, the evil of the abortions, but we're going to argue why that's okay. All the sexual immorality, but now we argue that that's okay. So there's this ignorance that people don't even recognize evil for evil. This is the domain of darkness. The domain of darkness forgot one important thing, sin and death. In the domain of darkness, there is no light. 
We can't see the truth. And everybody is heading because of sin to death. And I'm not just talking physical death, spiritual death, which is eternity in hell, which by the way is a very literal, real place. And so he rescued us. This is what the Bible says. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. This is in your notes. Jesus rescued us. That's the first thing he did. Picture this. So Jesus goes into Jerusalem as a king, but he wasn't just going to set it up. He was going in to rescue people. Picture Rambo. I don't know which one it is. One of the Rambos. Where he's going and saving the POWs. You probably shouldn't watch that movie, but it was a good movie when I was a kid. But you picture Rambo going in single-handedly rescuing these POWs and pulling them out and taking them to safety. That's Jesus. That's Jesus coming in, not with the machine gun, with himself. But Jesus came in to rescue, to grab people from this domain of darkness, from the control of Satan in their own sin. You know, our flesh, we talk about it. What, what is it that leads us away from God? The world? The, our, our own flesh. I mean, I have it within me desires for sin. And then the devil, all of this. And Jesus came in to rescue, to pull us out. Do you get that? That's what he was going in for. But he didn't just rescue us and then, you know, like somebody drowning. Imagine out in the ocean, uh, somebody's drowning, you know, shipwreck, somebody's drowning. Helicopter comes over, rescues them, and just leaves them on the life raft and flies away. (laughs) That's not what Jesus did. Jesus rescued us, but then he took us somewhere. Where did he take us? He took us. Well, let me, here's some people. I know I'm really good. Some people are happy, some people aren't. That's not the way legs work. (laughs) Um, So here's all these people in, this one's wearing a skirt. Yeah, okay. All these people, they're in the domain of darkness. They're trapped here. That's distracting. <laughs> there we go. Woohoo! Much better. Okay. Okay. They're trapped in the domain of darkness. So Jesus came to rescue those who would, by faith, follow him, rescue and take them somewhere else. Now, here's the picture. How did he rescue? What did he do? Obviously, yeah. What, what do I have to draw here? Somebody tell me. Absolutely. Yeah, because of the cross, that's how he rescued us. Through his blood, his death, he grabbed us. He didn't come in as a, as a warrior beating everybody and pulling us out. He came as a sacrifice and died. That's what he came to rescue us by his blood on the cross. He rescued and he did what? What does the Bible say? He transferred us. So this is the other one. He transferred us. There was a debt owed because of our sin. A debt owed to God. The theological term here is propitiation, that that the wrath of God had to be appeased because of our sin, my sin and yours. And so Jesus appeased that wrath by taking the punishment. The Bible says clearly that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus shed that blood. And now we're transferred to what? What's it say in the scripture there? New kingdom. Kingdom of son. Beloved son. So now, here's people over here transferred to a new kingdom, and they're really happy. Okay? What's different in this kingdom? What's different in the new kingdom? A new king. 
Not Satan, Jesus. Jesus came as a king. They recognized him as a king. He accepted it. He is the king. He is the king. He didn't set up his physical rule yet, but he set up his spiritual rule. So he is king, King Jesus. What have we been seeing in the, in the book of John? What comes in his kingdom? Light. Domain of darkness. Ignorance. Cannot see where we're going. Stumbling. Now the light's turned on. And we go, oh, I get it. The light comes on to where we can actually read the scripture and understand it. I had a guy who worked for me years ago. And we would spend day after day laying stone and doing stuff. And I had a Bible in there. And he's like, yeah, I've read that three times. But he didn't get it at all. He read it just for knowledge and to be able to argue, and we talked all the time, but he didn't get it. He read things plain as day and didn't understand it. And many people have shared that, that they read the Bible before they knew Jesus and didn't fully get it, and then they come to Jesus by faith, and the light comes on, and they start reading things and go, whoa, I get it. The light comes on. You see the destruction of sin. You see what sin does in your life. Light. Ignorance is gone. You see the truth. Jesus transferred us. This is a transfer. King James calls it translated. Uh, that, that term was used in that time of whole nations often being transferred. Uh, it could be used of Israel coming out of Egypt. They were transferred from Egypt to a new domain of the promised land, the land of Canaan. They, they took that over. When uh, the Jews were taken by well, it was two, Assyria, uh, Assyria conquered them first, then Babylon conquered. But what they would do when Assyria or Babylon, what they would do when they conquered a nation, would they would take the people, they would take them out. Then they would conquer other nations, they would take those people, they would put them here. That's what he's talking about, transferred. So Babylon comes in, conquers Israel, takes the people, takes them to Babylon. Jesus comes, conquers sin and death, takes the people, transfers them to a new kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. What else do we have in this kingdom? Freedom. True freedom. Forgiveness. And life. I want to hone in on that one for just a minute. Life. We've been, we've been looking at the book of John, and we've been seeing Jesus talk about life. Life And there's two Greek words often used for life, bios and zoe. Bios is biological life. Frogs have that, you know, physical life. Zoe, zoe is, is life, kind of like, we've said it this way, you know how you have one of those days that's just awesome and you go to bed, you're like, ah, that's the life. Or <laughs> you're sitting outside and the sun is shining and it feels good and the kids are playing. This is the life. Over here, you can't experience that in the domain of darkness. People think they can. But in this kingdom, ah, life, life the way he intended it, life pointing to God's glory. So every Sunday morning I go to Starbucks and I go back over my notes uh, and I just pray and, and let God work on me. And I was thinking about this part, this Zoe, and I'm looking out the window and just looking at bushes, you know, looking at flowers and being able to take a flower, lilacs, we have a lilac bush, whenever it blossoms, not for long, you can take one of those and smell it and go, and anybody can enjoy that. If you were at the marriage conference, uh, Matt Chandler taught there, and he talked some about this, uh, a grace that everybody has. Um, everybody can enjoy a flower, but only somebody in the kingdom of his beloved son can smell that flower and point that glory back to God who created it. 
And the pleasure of that is even greater than the pleasure anybody else can experience. The pleasure of great relationships pointing to God and his glory is greater. My, my parents were here a couple weeks ago. We went skiing. My father um, and Lydia and I, we went skiing. And we're riding up the lift. And we get, I don't remember which lift it is, but right where you can see the lake. And I said, hey, dad, look. And he's riding up and he turns and he's like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it's just that, wow. And only those in this kingdom who know can look at that and go, wow, God is glorious. I love going skiing and taking especially uh, the two younger ones because we always pray on the way up. God, thank you for this. And on the way back down, we go, thank you. And while we're going up, we're like, look at this. You know, look at this tree with snow just coming off and how beautiful that is. And that glory then goes to God. God made that for us. All the creation, the Bible says, screams out glory to God. That, that's Zoe. That's life. Not just eternal life, real life. He moved us into a position, new, something different. Listen, every religion, every religion tells you what to do to get to God. Every religion. Even most churches, most Christian religions, it's, and it's something we have to fight, but it'll tell you what you need to do to be right with God. But it doesn't give you the power to do it. And so it leaves people working really hard and then feeling guilty or proud True spirituality rests that Jesus did the work all by himself. <laughs> he on the cross took it, and now we're here. You're adopted. You're a son or a daughter of the king. Done. And what else comes in this kingdom? What else comes? It says here, um, sorry, I've lost my spot. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us, okay, to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have, there's two things it says there redemption. The first one is redemption. Jesus redeemed us. Jesus redeemed us. That word is used for buying a slave off the market. Uh, during that time, they, they would say probably half the citizens of Rome were actually slaves. They weren't actually citizens. They were slaves in Rome. And so there would be a slave market. You know, don't don't think slaves in, in America, but think slaves on a slave market. People would go, oh, that one's strong. That one can cook. You know, people on a slave market. Jesus bought us off the slave market, bought us from somebody else. So you may say, I'm free. I don't have another owner. And actually, that's what the Jews would say when Jesus was there. Oh, we don't need another king. You know, we're, we've always been free. He's like, you're not free right now. <laughs> but if you didn't realize this, you we're owned. So yesterday in my quiet time, I was reading through 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians 12, 2, uh, that was kind of the one that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, I think, honed me in on and I wrote about and thought about. But it said this in 1 Corinthians 12, 2. You know that you, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Before you knew Jesus, you were led away to worship something. So for them, they were led astray to mute idols, idols who they were nothing. But the Bible also talks behind every idol is a demon. Behind everything people worship that is anything other than Jesus, there are demons that are going, this is great, you know, keep it up. We live in a, a country where we don't have a lot of physical idols. There's some, but what we have are other idols of maybe it's prosperity, uh, pleasure. So we have all these other kinds of idols that we pursue, self-worth, 
There are demons behind that, and that owns you. I mean, think about it. Even you, when you are set free from yourself, <laughs> that's the most wonderful place to be. I am free to be treated unfairly and to be okay with it. I am free to not be comfortable. He came to set us free. He redeemed us. He bought us, and now we have a new owner. We have a new owner. Paul said, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. A little bit more on redeemed in a minute, but I want to look at the next one. Jesus has forgiven us, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to purchase our forgiveness, not just to set up a rule, not just to set up a kingdom. He wanted us to be forgiven for what separated us from God, from sin. Romans 4, 7 and 8 says this, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Do you know that if you by faith have accepted Jesus as Lord, you are forgiven? Which means you don't have to live in guilt. Past, present, future sins. It doesn't mean we're okay with sin in our lives. Okay, it's not, we go on sinning, no big deal, we'll be forgiven. But we're forgiven. That's what the Bible teaches. Psalm 103.12 says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God sends our sins away from us. How far is the east is from the west? You start heading east, at what point do you hit west? Never. <laughs> you just keep going around the earth. You know, I'm still going east. I haven't hit west yet. You never get there. In Micah, Micah 7, verse 19. Let me read this one to you. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is a prophet looking forward to what Jesus was going to do. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Do you realize that there are places in the ocean where there's these, these trenches? I don't know the name of the biggest one. One of you probably does. What is it? There we go. The Mariana Trench. How deep is that? Awesome. Have we ever found the bottom? Have we ever gone to the bottom? I don't think we have. I don't think we've been able to make it to the bottom and actually see what's down there. So Jesus took your sin and mine, went to the Mariana Trench, put a rock around it and dropped it. Bloop, and it's, it, it's gone. It's gone. In this kingdom, there is forgiveness. Meaning we don't now live a life of trying to make up for our sin. It's done. It's gone. We can live at peace, free from our sin. And in this new kingdom, everything has changed. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. We have been redeemed. So if somebody has been redeemed... It means they're purchased, they're bought, they're not their own. So we are now set free, but we're not our own. So when we understand this, here's, here's kind of the secret of Christianity, the, the life. If you came in here because it's still about you, you come to Jesus because of what you expect him to do for you, you haven't got it yet. The best thing for you is to know it's not about you. <laughs> the best thing for me is to have Jesus first. And so now I'm in his kingdom, but here's what happens. Since he redeemed me, I belong to him. He did this. He put me back. So now 
We're, we're, king, we're citizens of a new kingdom, but we still live in this one. We're surrounded by ignorance, evil, sin, and death. We're back here. But when we live this way with a new king, we can realize what he's done for us. Now, situations are different. We don't just want our circumstances to be fixed. We let God glorify himself through our circumstances. So Callie had an MRI on Thursday because she lost, you know, she had some problems with an eye and they're like, oh, that's from blood flow, which can be tumors. I mean, of course, where does your mind go with that stuff? So we're freaking out. Um, And so we didn't know for a week, you know, more before she got the MRI and then got the results. Well, when you're in this kingdom, you can have the right mindset. I'm not saying we didn't lose sleep over it, (laughs) but I am saying that we could go, God, what do you want to do in this? God, we're not following you so you can make our life comfortable. We're following you so you can glorify yourself. How can you be glorified in this? And there was reasons. Now it came back clear. She's good. And we're thankful for that. But there were ways where even God getting the glory, Callie said, I, I can understand people with anxiety more now. Callie woke up at times with her heart just pounding and she just couldn't control it. She's like, I've never understood anxiety. Now I get it. Now God can be glorified as she can use that with others. But it's different because we've been redeemed. We belong to him and we can experience life here. Um, this is an awful picture, but here's the picture I had of this. We're now changed, we're now different, and we're back here. We have 11 chickens, nine chickens, two roosters, and we have two ducks. The ducks are different than the chickens, but the ducks hang out with the chickens. So through the winter, you know, sometimes there's been water, but right now there's no water in there, there's just the the water bowl, and it gets low, and whenever one of our kids goes and they, they fill up the water, the ducks just jump in it. And they're like, they don't even fit in it, but they get it and they're like trying to swim in it. And, and, and you can see the chickens down there. They're like, you know, like they don't, I thought you were like me, but we don't do that. You're weird. Um, we're more like ducks, <laughs> but we're here with the chickens. Sometimes we do things that are just weird. Sometimes when, when life is difficult, we can walk by faith. We can trust. It's different. It's different. This is what Jesus came to earn. Now, listen, now we were designed to know God, love God, and glorify God. Now we can. We couldn't before because sin got in the way. Now he took it. Now we can. But we're back here. Now, here's what's going to happen someday. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And someday, We will go from here and we will be transferred to that one where there is perfection, where Jesus is ruling physically as the king of Israel, of of all of us. That is going to happen. But that was not possible until he dealt with our sin. That's why Jesus came to Jerusalem that day. That's why Jesus gave his life so that we could be part of a new kingdom. And someday, yes, someday, we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it's gonna be glorious. It's gonna be awesome. And we we can handle this because our eyes are there. Because we know that's coming. And so the ambitions that they had for Jesus coming in, they weren't totally wrong. That's still coming. But Jesus had to do something else first. How do we apply this? (laughs) For me, I could only think of one thing as I was going through, through this. What's our response? Surrender. If Jesus is the king and he came in as the conquering king, he's conquered our hearts. Our job is simply to surrender. We get this by belief. 
faith and belief isn't just an intellectual agreement to a set of statements. Biblical belief includes surrender, meaning it's not about me. I'm not king anymore. Jesus, you're king. Surrender, and we get to live here. That's what he came to earn. That's what he came to bring. So my question to you, have you surrendered? Have you surrendered? Or do you still want God to do things your way? Have you surrendered? Or do you live anxious and stressed because God isn't doing what you want him to do? Surrender. And you can have the peace, joy, all those things he promised while still here going through our circumstances. Let me pray. And let's worship Jesus for who he is. Lord Jesus Christ, um, you are our king. You are the king. What they honored you as when you came in, that is who you are. You are the king. You are our king. You are my king. And we love you. Thank you for what you earned. Thank you for the work that you did on the cross. You didn't just come to make our circumstances better. You came to save us, to rescue us, and you did. Holy Spirit, my heart aches that we would live in this new kingdom, that we would live fully there, trusting you, and living about you for your glory. God, I pray for each of us individually that we would trust you, and I pray for common ground as a whole, and what you're going to do next week, Easter, here and in the other churches and around, I pray that you would be glorified for who you are, and we would worship you fully for who you are, and that that would just bleed out to others, and they would say, I want to be part of that. Something's different. And it's you working, not us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.